That seems to be on. <laughs> That's the traditional welcome to Sizzletown Unplugged. Yes, you probably worked it out by now. Every second episode is an unplugged. So if you're looking for callers, you're going to have to jump to the next one. Episode 39, the season finale for 2019. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet when I recorded this, but I am guessing that every single caller, pretty much every caller from the last two years is going to phone in for the final episode. See how that goes. Uh, In the meantime, it's just me, no Matt Dower. He's off uh, working on professional recordings, not like this. I'll get notes on this from him. It'll be, oh, peaking in the left channel. Watch your levels. Always riding the levels too hard. Beavis and Butthead are here. (laughs) No nudity. That's right. Uh, Providing punctuation. And Damien Cowell has uh, furnished me with a keyboard, which he says is on steel drum setting. So let's get started. Thanks to Allegiance Wines. It's Sizzletown Unplugged. Oh. Okay. That's a steel drum. Yep. Should be a chord change coming up. There it is. Oh, hang on. Hang on. That's my neighbour starting his lawnmower. Oh, I should have warned him we were recording. Normally he does his own podcast about now, so I thought... Well, anyway. Uh, back to it. And this bit... Uh, Too late for that, I'm afraid. Didn't introduce myself. Tony Martin is my name. Uh, Not the German cyclist or the one who was married to Sid Charisse or the rugby league player or the former singer of Black Sabbath or the one who was Nettie Smith in Blue Murder. There's so many of us. It's very confusing if you're Googling. Uh, No, I'm the one who does a podcast where he sits between a couple of sofa cushions and hopes his neighbours aren't making any noise. He's, He's gone around the side of the house, so I think we'll be right. And what I do is I go through this file I've been keeping for 40 years of every movie I've seen, who directed it, and how many stars I gave it. And this time, we're going through 1982, where I apparently saw 36 movies. I haven't looked at this. We're going to go through it live, and maybe you can remember what you were doing. In 1982, I was, uh, well, I was working in an army surplus store in Hamilton, New Zealand, and then I got a job in Auckland, the big smoke, uh, operating a bromide camera in a darkroom for an advertising agency. Uh, Not a job that exists anymore. I think a child can do that now on a laptop. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, I was seeing a lot of films, and the first one, was The Great Muppet Caper, which I've given three stars. The Great Muppet Caper, that was the second Muppet movie. I think Charles Grodin might have been in there, John Cleese. I probably saw it because I was taking my little brother to the movies. He was, um, well, he was uh, 10 years younger than me. I remember the first film I took him to when he was four was Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, the third of the Herbie movies. And He did something that I'm sure I did when I first saw a movie, which is uh, he was freaked out and ran down to the front of the screen and was trying to work out where the pictures were coming from and tried to get round behind the screen to see if that's where all those cars were. 
Anyway, we've given the Muppet Caper three stars. I think all the Muppets were on bicycles at one point. That was gobsmacking special effects for its day. Then I've seen a double feature of Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams, which I've given one star. God, I think that was the first time I'd seen a Cheech and Chong movie and I was thoroughly unimpressed. Nice Dreams. The poster said Ice Creams and then that was amended to make it Nice Dreams. That's the level of the comedy. Then I've seen Blazing Saddles for the first time. Only given it three I think Blazing Saddles seemed a bit old-fashioned after um, after Airplane, Flying High. I think uh, the farting scene had sort of lost its power to shock after 10 years because uh, I do remember older people saying how startling the farting scene was. It was the first major farting scene in a film. I think there might have been one in My Fair Lady in some prints but we were pretty much used to farts in movies by 1982. Then I've seen The Cannonball Run, which I've only given one star. Why would that be? I think there, was, uh, there weren't enough car stunts. That doesn't sound right, does it? Surely Hal Needham directing Burt Reynolds, there would have been wall-to-wall car stunts. No, mostly talking, if I remember. And, uh, of course, um, uh, Dom DeLuise as Captain Chaos one of Sam Pang's heroes. Uh, the second Cannonball Run, didn't see that till years later. That is great. If you've never seen it, it's worth seeing just for uh, Frank Sinatra's cameo. His last screen appearance, where he's obviously filmed all of his scenes just in his office, and then they've tried to intercut them with what's going on in the actual movie. Uh, Popeye was the next film I've seen. Robert Altman, three stars. Probably the first Robert Altman film I'd seen. Supposedly a kid's movie, but I remember it being full of things like, uh, I think Popeye visits a whorehouse. And the line I remember is he goes, you don't once to goes in there, you catch gets one of those venerable diseases, which didn't seem like kiddie gear to me. Uh, stripes, given Stripes four stars, love Stripes in the day. Don't know what it looks like now. I do remember it uh, petered out. The last half hour, it just turned into a low-rent action movie. Sort of seemed to forget it was a comedy. I've obviously knocked a star off because of that. Then I've seen a double feature of Open Season. What was Open Season? Two stars. Director Peter Collinson, who I think did uh, The Italian Job. And also, Up the Junction. Um, Open Season. I think that was uh, William Holden. Maybe, was it Warren Oates or or Peter Fonda? I think it was that popular storyline, Man is the Ultimate Prey. It's like where, you know, rich people are hunting down humans because they can. And... uh, Yeah, two stars only for that. And I've seen it on a double feature with Excalibur, which I'm seeing for the second time, presumably to try and work out how they did the sword through the stomach effect. Then I've seen Outland, director Peter Hyams, the former director of photography. Three stars I've given that. I think that was a remake of High Noon in Space with Sean Connery. 
everything was being remade in space back in those days. Then I've seen Life of Brian for the second time, five stars. Presumably the more fucking gondolas short was screened before it again to much laughter from the audience. Then I've seen Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, which I've given three stars. Director Sam Wanamaker, who I think... I th- wasn't that the director in in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Wasn't Nicholas Hammond playing Sam Wanamaker? God, I hope that's right. I think he was. Nicholas Hammond, who of course was Spider-Man when I was a kid and also one of the kids from, from uh, The Sound of Music. This is irrelevant information, but I guess that's what this podcast is all about. After that, I've so <laughs> here we go. I've seen Battlestar Galactica, Conquest of the Earth, which I've given one star. And the reason for that would have been because it would have just been two episodes of the TV show bashed together and passed off as a movie, which I don't know if that happened here in Australia, but it was very common in New Zealand. They did it with Spider-Man. That's what we were saying. Because I remember, uh, think about Battlestar Galactica is when you saw the first episode, you went, wow, this is as good as Star Wars. And then by the second episode, you're going, hang on, that's the same shot of a spaceship exploding they used last week. They had about six special effects. They just kept cutting to the same ones. We were furious, as furious as people are about global warming now. We were that angry about repeated special effects in Battlestar Galactica. Then I've seen Patrick, uh, the Australian film Patrick, three stars. Oh, I've seen it on a double feature with Brian De Palma's Blowout. Now, Patrick, all I remember about that is there was a scene towards the end where a bloke who'd been comatose for the whole movie suddenly lurched out of his hospital bed to try and strangle someone and the entire cinema shat its pants, Scott Morrison style. And then, 30 years later, I found myself living just around the corner from the hospital in Patrick, right here in Melbourne. Blowout... By Brian De Palma, I've given four stars to John Travolta, but I do remember the audience were furious. There was booing at the end because, uh, spoiler alert, I think uh, the leading lady gets killed. No one had seen that in a movie before. People were furious. They were wanting it to be reshot Game of Thrones style. What a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> then I've seen... A double feature of Annie Hall and Manhattan, and I've given both of them five stars. Wow, this would have been my first time. That's right, because when I was a kid, I saw a documentary about Woody Allen, and it had all of these great gags in it, like uh, in Take the Money and Run when he's playing a cello in a marching band, and Love and Death when he hides in a cannon that rolls down a hill. Uh, But it was years later before I finally saw one of his films. And, of course, it's the much more adult Annie Hall. But nonetheless, I clearly try to appear sophisticated for my age. And, yep, Manhattan. You couldn't even... um, (laughs) You couldn't even screen Manhattan now. It'd be me too'd off the screen, I'm sure. 
Uh, then the next day, I've seen another Woody Allen film, Love and Death. There you go. Only given that one four stars. And for some reason, what a strange double feature. It's on a double feature with The Never Dead, uh, also known as Phantasm. Don Coscarelli, director. I follow him on Twitter. He's never stopped making Phantasm sequels, I don't think. All anyone remembers from The Never Dead slash Phantasm is a flying silver ball with knives sticking out of it that embeds itself in your forehead and fires blood across the room. That was very shocking in its day. Uh, Everything You've Always Wanted to Know About Sex, another Woody Allen film. That's right, that was screened at the Hamilton Art Museum, just projected on the wall, all of us sitting cross-legged. Uh, during oh that has um, that has Gene Wilder in it as the man who is in love with a sheep. One of the best bits of comedy acting ever, in my opinion. Just as a little short film, that segment is absolutely perfect. There's also a giant breast chasing people down a freeway, if I remember. <laughs> then I've seen You Only Live Twice. Three Stars, that's a James Bond film from the 60s with, uh, I think, Donald Pleasance as Blofeld. And after that, I've saw, no, oh, it's another embarrassing one, Lady Chatterley's Lover. Once again, boobs. This is the pre-internet era, and I've obviously just gone along to see if uh, Sylvia Crystal gets her gear off, which I'm assuming she did, although I've only given it one star. Chariots of Fire, boring as batshit if I remember two stars. I got dragged along to see that by two gay friends who were very keen to see it because there was a bit where um, someone did uh, two little girls from school from um, the Mikado. So we, we went along to see the whole of Chariots of Fire just to see that bit. This was my life in 1982. What a sophisticated young man I was. I've then taken my brother to see The Great Race from the 1960s, Blake Edwards, only given it two stars, despite that massive custard pie fight. Poltergeist. Oh, pol- okay, so now I've moved to Auckland because I remember Poltergeist was the first movie I saw in the big city, and I've given that three stars. Uh, oh, and then I've seen Porky's. <laughs> I've only given that one. Can't have been impressed by Porky's. That's right. I thought Porky's was terrible. Audience loved it, of course. And remember, something I noticed with that film is all the big laugh scenes had people on screen pissing themselves laughing. For example, there's the famous uh, dick scene And then the next scene is like in the headmaster's office and people are going, and they can't stop laughing. And that was what made the audience laugh. I remember at the time thinking, wow, if you want people to laugh at your movie, have people on screen pissing themselves laughing. Uh, Then I've seen Time Bandits, four stars for Time Bandits, Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits. Uh, Who was in that? David Warner, not the, um, oh God, is he a cricket player? (laughs) Or is he a tennis player? I don't know. What the hell is this crap? David Warner was the bad guy in Time Bandits. Uh, What else can I remember about that? Dwarves. Heaps of dwarves. Uh, Then I've been off to see a double feature of The Thing, 
which was very badly received in its day. John Carpenter's The Thing. But I've given it five stars, and that's right. I remember t- I was staying at this boarding house. I think this is in one of my books as well. And I recommended The Thing to uh, my landlady, and she was so horrified that it basically led to me being asked to leave. And I've seen that on a double feature with He Knows You're Alone, (laughs) one star. Oh, that was, um, I think that's like a uh, sort of post-Halloween slasher movie. And I think it might be Tom Hanks's first movie, directed by Armand Mastriani. Okay, can't tell you anything else about that. Victor Victoria, I've given four stars, really? Haven't seen that since it came out. That's another Blake Edwards film. I think it had a French detective in it. He just couldn't stop trying to re-stamp Clouseau. And that was on a double feature with The Secret Policeman's Ball, which I've given four stars to. That's a kind of um, concert movie of uh, comedians, British comedians, people from Monty Python. I think Peter Cook was in there. And Rowan Atkinson, that's right. It was the first time anyone had seen Rowan Atkinson playing an invisible piano. Uh, Then I've seen Evil Under the Sun. I think that might be a Hercule Poirot, doubtless with Peter Ustinov, only given that two. Then I've seen a double feature of E.T., which I've given five stars to. That would have been the first time I saw E.T. Many years later, of course, I saw Mac and Me, which is the uh, possibly the worst film ever made. It's a McDonald's-sponsored rip-off of E.T. Don't bother renting it. Just uh, watch the best bits or worst bits on YouTube. That's been uh, in a double feature with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Third time seeing that, still five stars. Then, oh dear, speaking of Blake Edwards trying to keep Peter Sellers alive, Trail of the Pink Panther, one star. I was disgusted by that, as was the audience, because it was promoted as a new Pink Panther movie. And then you go to it, and it's just made up of leftover footage from the earlier Pink Panther films and kind of stitched together with new scenes involving the cast. It was basically a snuff movie. It's worth Wikipediaing. It's a very strange film. It was so grave robby that it, it even had David Niven, who by this time couldn't speak, uh, in new scenes where his voice was overdubbed by Rich Little. <laughs> Although it did have a, a kind of montage of bits from the earlier films under the end credits and I remember that did bring the house down but that was like the only good bit of the whole film and then I've seen Tron (laughs) which I've given four stars and then the final film on this list Tron again I've immediately I've clearly been so amazed by Tron I've gone back to it like the next day And again, giving it four stars. I think uh, David Warder, the cricket or tennis player, was also the bad guy in that one. And that's right. I must have been so amazed by the special effects. But I remember when when the new Tron came out a couple of years ago, 
I decided to have another look at Tron and see how it was holding up. And it looks ridiculous. It looks like it was, you know, made on an Etch-A-Sketch. You watch it and you go, is this the animatic? Was the final film way better than this? No. But anyway, that's how easy it was to amaze an audience back in 1982. Whoa. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> what a nerdish 18-year-old I was as opposed to the worldly figure you're listening to now, crouching under a doona with a beavers and butthead doll. Same crap on every channel. Let's uh, have a story. Before that, while I rustle something up, here are some more excerpts from the very fine breakfast show on Nova 100, heard every morning, Chrissy Salmon Brownie. New trailer just got um, dropped for that new Cats film. I couldn't even get... I couldn't even watch the whole trailer. Mm. It's very disturbing, no, isn't it? Well, because it's... also I was waiting for this. Cats. It wasn't yeah. on there. We did what a lot of people are doing, which is we attempted to show our cat the trailer for Cats. <laughs> Not interested. No. Not interested. Straight back to cleaning its ass. I would have out. Sorry, I've got to hoist the leg and get into this important project for the next hour and a half. But I passed five signs between my house and here Five signs advertising schnitz and tits. Now, I, I have to say... The universe is telling you something. It really is. Mm-hmm. The, the word schnitz is the only thing that allows the word tits to be on a sign, isn't it, That's really? Very true. The word schnitz is the word tits's get-out-of-jail card. It really is. It's you a companion really, piece. You yes. can't have tits on any sign. It's very true. Unless in close proximity to the word schnitz. Can I ask you about schnitz and tits for a minute? Yeah, OK. Be Does careful. it involve... Mm. Eating a schnitzel around women with their breasts out. I haven't actually been to an S&T. Do you seriously think that anyone in this studio has been to a schnitz and tits night? An S&T night. Does anybody in this... Brody has Brody! Brody. Welcome, Brody! Here we go. Deviant. Um, Brody, you've been there. Is it self-explanatory, schnitz and... Yeah, good Mm. place. Are the, are the schnitz? <laughs> what do you mean? Good? Is it good places in one place or is it like a franchise? How many chefs hats? <laughs> How many Michelins? <laughs> Just all one of us, the one. Yeah. Where is it? It's a theme, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Anyone ideas. can do it. No, oh. it's a theme night. They have it like Voodamond has it on a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, you could have one at your house if you really wanted. Mate, every Thursday's schnitz and tits at our place. <laughs> are the breasts completely out yeah. or are they just mm. sort of. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Are, are the schnitz served on <laughs> no, the tits? No, no, I don't think they... The sort of melting cheese? I don't think I endorse a <laughs> no. schnitz and tits night. Okay. I think it's gross. See, the problem is that I would prefer the normal palmer as opposed to the just the schnitz, schnitz. which is kind of dry compared to the palmer. I agree with that. That's true. And, you but need unfortunately, some sort of sauce. Unfortunately, palmer does not rhyme with tits, so they're unable no. to bring the two together. Oh, that was a few moments from Chrissy Salmon Brownie weekday mornings on Nova in Melbourne. Now, I've dragged out a story. This is from 10 years ago, 19th of July, 2009. And wow, I didn't realise I've been on Twitter that long. But anyway, this is about a minor controversy that would have had me cancelled had such a thing existed in those days. Uh, this is what happened when I went on Talk About Your Generation, which was then on Channel 10, and the subsequent Twitter brouhaha. Shows you um, 
Things haven't really changed in the last decade. I haven't bothered to alter any of the references, so it's full of uh, talk of things and people and events from 10 years ago that... Uh, who was the chick chick boom girl? I, I can't remember. Anyway, I haven't changed anything. So here we go. This is a true story. And all the tweets that I quote in here are for real. It's called Optimus Schmoptimus. I am Cornholio. I wonder if you can imagine what it would be like to awaken one morning, fire up the internet and suddenly find yourself one of the most reviled people in the country. Matthew Johns, John Elliott and the Chaser team have all recently undergone this rapid transmutation. Sam Newman, Kyle Sanderlands, the Chick Chick Boom Girl, they know what it's like to make what you think are a few harmless comments or let fly with a waggish prank, only to discover that what you had in fact done was to spit in the face of a dying child or perhaps worse, defecate in a hotel corridor while nude. The footballer responsible for this last outrage later claimed not to have a drinking problem. To me, this only made it worse. A drinking problem is surely the only possible excuse. Last week, I myself experienced a limited taste of this overnight opprobrium. For 24 hours, I was a small-scale pariah, briefly abominated by members of a very specific demographic. But it wasn't because of something I'd said... It was because of something I'd stood on. A couple of months back, I was invited to take part in Channel 10's hit show, Talking About Your Generation. My love of all things McAuliffe allowed me to overlook both the two unsightly apostrophes in the title and the fact that having been born in 1964, I was A, not really a baby boomer, and B, a year younger than the person they'd chosen to represent Generation X. The show was a fair bit of fun, although I found myself spending more time waiting to see what nonsense would pop out of the host's mouth next than actually answering any questions. One of the games required Amanda Keller and me to assemble various toys into a chronological formation. They were largely forms of preteen transportation, a space hopper, some monster feet, and something called a green machine, which apparently dated back to the late 70s, although I'd never seen one before. I don't think the green machine made it across the Tasman. If you'd showed up at my school peddling something like that, you'd have been beaten senseless with textbooks and bundled into the kiln. Because we were on television, it became necessary for me to demonstrate the various conveyances as each was produced. The final exhibit was a small plastic lorry, and in keeping with the previous vehicles, it seemed only logical that I try and ride it like a roller skate to the front of the stage. As soon as I stood on it, the truck shattered with a sickening crack. I knew that this would happen. It's a comedy show. The audience laughed, and that was all that mattered. Upon examining the wreckage, I realised that it wasn't a truck at all, but a transformer. This discovery proved no help to Amanda or me. We came last by a large, humiliating margin. I'd spent too much time trying to think of stupid jokes and not enough getting the answers right. I even failed to recognise the poster line from my favourite movie. Mercifully, that bit was cut out. By the time the show went to air weeks later, I'd forgotten pretty much everything about it, except for the startling moment when the host took to a Henry Kissinger-shaped piñata with a baseball bat. 
The bit with the crushed transformer had been left in and got its explosive response because the audience recognised it for what it was, an act of desperation. I wasn't complaining. As a newly anointed baby boomer, I'll take the laughs wherever I can get them. The next morning, I discovered my inbox full to bursting and not with the usual office to share in the boundless riches of the seemingly GFC-proof Nigerian economy. Have a look at what they're saying about you over on the Talk About Your Generation forum, urged one acquaintance, his gleeful missive bristling with LOLs. Piloting my way through a forest of pop-ups for the 7pm project, I located the forum and beheld the posts, most of which began with the phrase, I can't believe Tony Martin destroyed an authentic Optimus Prime. Some sample entries. Gene Chan. Seriously, he is an idiot to step on it like that. One mod. Yeah, I wonder how the owner of the toy feels. Claire Jackson. My boyfriend sat there open-mouthed, then said they have no appreciation for how much that thing is worth, and they say our generation are clueless. I was aghast, and Claire Jackson's open-mouthed boyfriend was right. I had no appreciation. When I'd stepped on it, I didn't even know it was an Optimus fucking prime. It looked like an ordinary plastic truck, which I guess is the idea. As I was contemplating my extraordinary faux pas, the phone rang. Mate, have you seen how everyone's hating on you on Twitter? Said someone who I wouldn't have thought would be familiar with Twitter, let alone the phrase hating on. I punched my name into Twitter and scrolled past hundreds of comments, many of them grossly suggestive, about my newest namesake, the German cyclist who, to me, looks like a creation of the Jerry Anderson Studios. Below these was a slew of horrified tweets from aggrieved Transformers fans. Scott Keenan. Every time I see Tony Martin crush the Optimus Prime on the TBYG promo, I feel physically sick. Tony, what have you done? Bent to the max. Can't believe Tony Martin just killed a classic Optimus on Talking About Your Generation. Why would you stand on him? Why? Mark versus Mason. Tony Martin just broke a most likely collectible Optimus Prime toy from the early 80s. Nero God. Tony Martin just destroyed an original Optimus Prime. Shame on you, Tony. Shame. White Ox. Tony Martin just trod on Optimus Prime. It's like he's trampling on my childhood. Not cool. Warhamster. Not a big fan of Tony Martin anymore. Oh no, I've lost Warhamster and trampled on White Ox's childhood. And who knows whether I'll ever be able to win back the respect of Bent to the Max. I think that because of my nerdish credentials and my most recent radio program's continual You've Got the Touch sing-alongs, people have mistaken me for a Transformers aficionado. But as TBYG clearly demonstrated, I am way too old for that. I grew up a decade earlier. The only transforming robots I saw were on the Tomorrow People, Blake 7, and the TV version of Logan's Run, in which skivvy-clad cyborg Donald Moffat had an arm ripped off and spent an entire episode with a suspiciously arm-shaped bulge down the front of his tight velour top. All I knew of the Transformers was the old animated movie which featured the unlikely casting combination of Orson Welles, Eric Idle, Judd Nelson and the bloke who played Max the Chauffeur on Heart to Heart. 
and the more recent live-action one, of which all I can recall is a scene involving Megan Fox in the bonnet of a car. By mid-afternoon, the Twitter hatin' had escalated to the point where I wasn't sure if it would be safe to even pop down the shops for a carton of milk. Code Ape. Tony Martin looks and sounds like his own gay older brother. I can't believe he broke Optimus Prime. Things were heating up. Now they were using Cap's lock. Incidentally, other recent tweets by Code Ape include... Opera sucks more than Firefox. I just shat a tortoise. Brisbane is poo. Eat a dick, Danny Katz. I'm gonna punch Twitter fail in the cunt. And despite his aversion to the gay, OMG, no more will and grace, WTF. As he eventually admits, I think I need to do something that matters. By evening, I was completely paranoid. All the blinds were drawn and I was knocking back shot after shot of vodka. Is this what it was like for Salman Rushdie for all those years when he was hiding out in Bono's back shed, the poor bastard? Had I really destroyed an antique? Had a crew member really lost a cherished keepsake? Had Code Ape really shat a tortoise? But just as I was seriously considering witness protection, I received this email from Nikki Hamilton Cornwall, former producer of Get This. Tell those Twitter twits that the Optimus Prime that you stood on came from High Point Shopping Centre, could be replaced any day of the week and cost all of $69.99. Anna H bought it herself. I was working with her today. She said there was a mountain of them and that they weren't rare in any way. All this over a $70 toy abundantly available at any shopping centre. If these people were such big fans, wouldn't they have known the going rate for an Optimus Prime? Then I realised that, like me, Generation X hasn't bothered to keep up with developments down at Toys R Us. Their idea of Transformers is forever stalled back in the early 90s. And it wasn't the dollar value that concerned them anyway. It was, as White Ox said, their childhoods that I was shattering into tiny plastic splinters. And believe me... I know what that feels like. I feel it all the time. Most recently when I saw the Get Smart movie. Not cool. (laughs) Yes, we were right furious about that Get Smart movie when it came out. Uh, That is it for Sizzletown Unplugged. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Allegiance Wines, our sponsors. Visit allegiancewines.com.au. And myself and Matt Dow will be back with a proper Sizzletown, last one for the year, in two weeks' time. See you then. Cheers. Cheers.